0: Audience of the Katie Halper Show that we did with the very smart, very interesting, very funny historian Greg Grandin and you're going to love it. Now, you'll notice that we only give you like 20 minutes of the show. That's because we're going to ask you, if you want to hear the rest of it, to become a Patreon supporter, a Patreon donor to The Katie Halper Show, and it's really affordable. It's $3 a month. That's less than a dollar a week, in case you couldn't figure that out, which you probably could level will get you access to extra bonus content like the rest of this interview with Greg Random. You'll also be able to get extra interviews that we've done with Emmett Renson, Carl Bayer, Liza Featherstone, and Doug Henwood that requires major editing because of the sound issues at the venue that we're recording it at. All you have to do is you go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. We'll give you all sorts of goodies, extra videos and if you want to become a member at a higher level you get a Katie Helper show. not a single cent off of the show thanks bye okay greg thank you so much we're so excited to have with us greg randon a historian the author of kissinger's shadow which i always want to call kissinger's ghost because it's wishful thinking right sorry trigger (laughs) warning for for kissinger fans in the room and you're a professor at NYU, and your book, The Empire of Necessity, won the Bancroft Prize. Fordlandia was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Award. And I actually, ever since the Pulitzer didn't go to you, I no longer consider it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not legitimate, it's illegitimate. Pulitzer not giving you the award was like the Nobel Peace Prize to Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Henry Kissinger. Thanks again so much for joining us. Let's give Greg a round of applause. So, Greg, I thought a good way to start would be, because you are a Latin Americanist, the, at the least, but you're actually, you write about a lot of stuff. I wanted to talk to you about being a historian and being a professor, and how you approach the question of objectivity, impartiality, the role of the historian, the role of the intellectual. that's that specific oh, that's
1: enough? A, yeah, uh, that's a pretty serious question. I guess I wasn't expecting that. I like to ease into <laughs> it, you know. Start light, go dark. <laughs> the role of the, the, the objectivity.
0: Just for, I guess, background, I feel like a lot of what's happened during this election is the facade of objectivity has been torn down because people feel comfortable for various reasons saying, what, a threat to democracy, Donald Trump, in a way that they have not with other politicians or apprentice hosts. <laughs> so yeah, the, the idea of this, like I, when I write, whether it's a tweet or a blog post or an article, or when I was teaching history, because I taught high school history, I would always tell my students or tell my readers like what my... As if they couldn't tell, but I was open about having a perspective and an ag- agenda, right. and I find that actually way more honest than pretending to not have one.
1: Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I, I guess I, I mean being a historian is a bit schizophrenic. On the one hand, you're dealing with the past, and the other hand, the, the, you're looking at the past through the present, and there's no way to get around that perspectivism that you you know that every every question you bring to bear on the past has to do with the present. And and you're right. I think this election is revealing a certain kind of relativism or subjectivity of of a, of a press that likes to pretend that it's object the Voxes vo- the and the, and the <laughs> you know, and... The Voxes guarding the hens. The Voxes guarding the hens. And I think one way to approach it is exactly to be honest and straightforward about your politics. I think that yeah, you have to have a kind of moral structure or a normative structure that guides the questions that you ask, and and any pretense of objectivity is really, is exactly that—it's a pretense. So it's it's best just, I think, to be honest and forward about where you stand. It's not like
0: I want people to be pro-Trump. It's more, if anything, I want people to be as critical of bad, problematic politicians, even when they're not over the top and like saying that they gra- assault women. We can talk about Bill Clinton in a second, though. hey (laughs) I I didn't say that. No, but it's almost not even about this. It's about what's going to happen after Trump. And we go back to the politics of normalcy. Like, why is it okay to talk about Ted Cruz as if he's not a sociopath?
1: Yeah. I ask you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, there's a couple of things. There's a certain hysteria about Trump, right? That is... Like uh, Beatlemania? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> a mania, right, about Trump that, that serves a certain political purpose that uh, legitimates Clinton and legitimates the, the kind of the ground and the structure that gives rise to Trumpism. Hillary Clinton and Clintonianism, Bill Clinton, is the, is the terrain that gives rise that makes Trumpism possible. And, and obviously the, the hysteria and over-the-top descriptions of Trump as being unprecedented in American history is, is not true. I mean we you know, this the cycles of this kind of insanity, whether it be Nixon and Kissinger destroying Laos and Cambodia and not to mention Vietnam and largely because of domestic politics or, or Reagan Reagan's Iran contra policy or George W. Bush. I mean so Trump is just brings it out in extremists, right? He's just what's the danger about Trump is he's just he reveals the assumptions underneath the nonsense.
0: Right, like when he talked about how he would punish women if they had abortions, people were scandalized, but women are already being punished for having abortions and Republicans want that to happen anyway. He just doesn't have the This
1: It is fun to watch his spiral, though. Oh, that yeah. Is fun. Well, is it, it is It's, it's very fun. <laughs> it fun it's, vo- watch it's like a, a, watch car, a, a
0: car crash, whatever yeah. that, that <laughs> tendency is that we like to watch a car crash. Or I guess it's we watch it when it's over, so that's different. I don't, is there a thing for watching it happen? No, it's just like when it's happened. I don't know, we get, I'll get a psychologist to Real talk time. about that. Real time, yeah, with Bill Maher and, in a car. Wow, a lot of fetishes smashed into one thing, but I don't think anyone has a Bill Maher fetish, <laughs> and if you do, as I said, we can talk to a psychologist. Um, I kid. I love uh, Islamophobic misogynists. Um, some of my best friends are maybe one or the other, but okay. Um, probably not both. Oh, that's a nice balance. So what is Clintonianism then? You mentioned it. What does that mean?
1: Well. I Obviously, there's a danger of, of associating Hillary Clinton with Bill Clinton's policies, except that Hillary Clinton supported all of it, particularly the, the deregulation and the assault on on the welfare safety net. But Clintonism is basically neoliberalism. It's an extension And just, just to
0: pause one second, I also want to add that it's not just that— I mean, she not only stumped for these policies, which she did as First Lady of right. both Arkansas and of this country, but she invokes her husband a lot. Yeah. So people will constantly... Her defenders, which maybe I'm one of her defenders, you don't know, I'm, I'm neutral. Her defenders <laughs> will say, you know, that's misogynist, like how, how dare you see her as an extension of her husband, which is fine, but then she cannot say, like, I think my husband did pretty well in the 90s. I think she just wants to talk about Biggie and Tupac, honestly, because she's always <laughs> bringing up the 90s. It's weird.
1: Job creation.
0: Job creation, Tupac and Biggie. They they also they rapped about that issue. Changes very very prescient song, kinda timeless. Yeah, so, so so now that we corrected people so that they can never pretend that you're a misogynist for talking about her husband's extremely relevant policy. Yeah. She's a woman. Sometimes you want a woman. <laughs> I'll be your female shield.
1: Okay. I mean, Clintonism, is, I think, was two things. It's the neoliberalism, it's the economic deregulation, the, the freeing up finance capital, both domestically and in terms of foreign policy, the passing of NAFTA and other policy initiatives in, in the realm of foreign policy. And it's the militarism and the, the punitive nature. You have both under Clintonism. You have the deregulation <laughs> and you have the punitive enforcement that goes with it. And it, as a Latin Americanist, that's Clinton's three signature policies in Latin America. America, which I think sum up Clintonianism, is one, Plan Colombia, two, NAFTA, and three, the militarization of the border. What's so not to like? Yeah, what's not to like. But but um, those t- those things hand in hand, right? The, the financial deregulation that NAFTA represents, and it's not just NAFTA, but other policies, The NAFTA becomes shorthand for that, creates the dislocations in Latin America that destroys regional markets, creates the conditions for migrations, creates the vacuum of the state that in many ways the cartels have filled. Plan Colombia is the, mili- the militarist response to that to that neoliberalism and then you wall- you start militarizing the border as a way of sealing it all off I mean particularly the militarization of the border was a nice way of thinking about the way the domestic and the foreign overlap so on the one hand it was part and parcel of NAFTA they knew that NAFTA would increase Undocumented migration because of the dislocation it would cause in Mexico so, so there was can a you way of
0: explain that
1: well NAFTA basically destroyed mexico 's ability to subsidize and protect its local agricultural markets and opened up its agricultural markets to u s agro industry and the idea was that all of the displacement that would that would be a result of that would be absorbed by an expanding Assem- assembly plant industry the maquilas on the border and it didn't i mean the, the assembly plant industry the assembly plant sector didn't absorb the amount of people displaced from the agricultural sector so those people either went to mexico city or they or they went north into the united states
0: but it's also like it's not like the maquila is the gold standard either right no no so na- that neither like, it, right? yes,
1: yes. So, so hand in hand with nafta went the militaries on the border they they increased the number of border agencies you know all the, basically they made it increasingly difficult to come into the United States through urban corridors, and they pushed undocumented migrants into the desert. So the you know, tens of thousands of people have died making that trek. It's a trail of tears in a, in a lot of ways, and that that began under Clinton, and it's also linked to the Crime Bill. You, there's a famous, there's an infamous memo by Rahm Emanuel to oh, Clinton yeah. about why, he need, how we could, how we could, how the militarization of the border and the and the and the increasing. You know what the border patrol it wasn't called ICE at the time, but um, and and increasing surveillance of factories that used undocumented workers could be the next step of the crime bill. So the famous crime bill that was criticized during the primaries, and rightly so, had a foreign policy corollary and that, that was the the crackdown on, on undocumented labor. And that all started under Clinton. So you're right, so Hillary Clinton wants it both ways. On the one hand, in, she's running against her husband's record when she when she positions herself as a candidate of the dispossessed, uh, you know, and you know, well, I guess this was more during the primary than right. now. But on the other hand she, she 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 embraces the record when it comes to supposed job creation.
0: Right. Um, so maybe we're not being fair when we assume that she meant um, young black men when she said super predators. Maybe she was being more like holistic and inclusive yeah. and yeah, also Latin American. So yeah. I apologize, Hillary, yeah. if I was being like short-sighted yeah. and myopic. I think we all owe her an apology yeah. for that. And so she wasn't just bringing those people to heal; she was bringing other people to heal, Right? You guys, we just discovered something. Big deal. Big things are happening. Well, her husband,
1: yeah. Her husband,
0: sorry. Yeah. I mean, I know the Lady Macbeth trope is there, but we've got to also give her credit, right?
1: Yeah, well, as Secretary of State, she... You've been asked that a lot, right? (laughs) As Secretary of State, she was very supportive of the deportation policy and about sending a message. So during the whole children... The children migration crisis, and she w- she thought deportation was was not just a, a, a remedy for whatever it was remedying, but a but it was sending a message. A deterrent, to, to, yeah, deterrent.
0: Because kids, when they're fleeing, yeah, they're it. like, what am I picking up here? Like, what's the symbolism? What's the message I'm being sent?
1: And the reason why there's a, there was a children migration is because it beca- it has become so difficult <laughs> to migrate. So in the past, families, whole families, could could cross the border together. I mean, it wasn't easy, but it was it was possible. But now it's so onerous, and the trek through the desert is so punitive and so body destroying that that um, you you individual fam- either families have to send their children ahead or or go or go you know, individually. You know, there used to be a kind of going back and forth, you know, undocumented migrants used to be able to go back and forth and connect with their families, that's all over. And a lot of that stuff you could trace back. And Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State supported a very hard line when it came to, when it came to deportation. You know, Tom,
0: Thomas Frank's book, uh, Listen Liberal, I don't know if you've read it, but he, he has a chapter in it, which is quoting someone else, and it's, it's um, it takes a liberal. And it talks about how Clinton, Bill Clinton, was able to pass NAFTA in a way that a Republican would have struggled more with. because we. And he also has a sentence in the book where he says, the opposition ceased to oppose. And I think we saw that with Obama, too, a little bit, like he got away with things. It's complicated because he also didn't get away with things because there's a lot of racism in this country, Mm -hmm. to understate it. He faced total obstructionism on the one hand. But then I think, like I did this myself, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, like it's bad that he's doing this, but look at all the stuff he's facing, which isn't really related." I mean, you well, we can do the really two things at the same time. Yeah,
1: NAFTA's interesting because Bill Clinton made a decision to to prioritize NAFTA rather than Hillary Clinton's health care policy. That was a decision to, to exert political capital to pass NAFTA. That was under Kiss- that Henry Kissinger actually advised Bill Clinton was so Kissinger was very involved in negotiation of NAFTA under George H. W. Bush because he was he had deep ties in Mexico oh. and then under Bill. Clinton, Bill Clinton was the first Democratic president to kind of rehabilitate Henry Kissinger and Henry Kissinger was key in in helping the passage of NAFTA through Congress. And it was Henry Kissinger who suggested that to Bill Clinton to bring all of the ex-presidents to the Oval Office for the signing ceremony.
0: It takes a village. That's what Hillary but, was talking but,
1: about. But the but the but the back story, the you know, a tangential story, is the way that Hillary Clinton, no matter how bad Hillary Clinton and Ira Magaziner's healthcare policy was, basically just criminalized not having insurance. It was still something. It was still an emphasis on the social, and that was sidelined. Oh, in, and yeah, in, that You is know, that was subordinated to, to free trade.
0: Sometimes I do think this, my mom thinks this definitely, I mean, why not personalize and, and be anecdotal? It's fun. But that like Hillary Clinton is actually much more progressive than Bill Clinton is, or was. Maybe it took her longer to become like a hardened, cynical politician than it did Bill. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, don't I know. have no idea. Whatever. Okay, that was <laughs> worth a shot, right? All, my, all the historians in the room, I'm sure we have a historian in the room. Matt Karp is here by the way. I just want to give a shout out to a f- another historian oh. whose book just came out.
1: Yeah, it's a great book. Great book, It's wow. a great book. I taught it in my in my undergraduate class.
0: You did. Yeah. I didn't plan this. You just got a blurb. You're yeah, g- yeah. We all, I gave you a blurb. Best Southern Empire. It's a terrific vast book. Vast Southern Empire, yeah. We're going to have Matt yeah, yeah. on the show too. Look at
1: that. Students loved it.
0: Right. Well, I assigned your book, Empire's Workshop, at the Dalton School. That's a private school on I the East side. Okay, that's really interesting. So, The choice to go with a kind of a what uh, what would you call that a um, multinational like a deregulating social fund social program slashing thing initiative as opposed to something that at least well yeah
1: Yeah, or the signature program NAFTA was sure NAFTA NAFTA really just codified a lot of right policies that were already in place and made them hard to roll back.
0: Did you see Rachel Maddow um, trying to say that? woke that she trying is, yeah. to,
1: Trying to say that Bill Clinton didn't, I know, trying to say that Bill Clinton didn't sign yeah. after until, because apparently there's a distinction between signing the treaty and then signing the treaty after it's passed by Congress. Right. And so she tried to say that Bill Clinton, or she disputed the... I guess it was Trump who said that. if yeah. He fact-checked Trump that Bill Clinton didn't sign NAFTA, but I don't really understand the distinction. Sure, but right. Apparently there are two signs, So George H. W. Bush signed some version of NAFTA right. when they negotiated the treaty, and then Bill. It's like Clinton's if you play <laughs> that,
0: it's like an assist, and then the other one put in the basket. And so they're like, yeah. they're like, oh no, Bill Clinton who put in the basket had nothing to do with it. It was all George. Bush's know. Bush and and the that ball. so
1: that's an example to go back to your first question about faux objectivity right. of so faux objectivity. Let's they s- find that they're, right <laughs> <you laughs> <know, laughs> they're trying to you know they're to. Fact check, because technically maybe it wasn't this, it was called something else. Bill Clinton signed, I mean, they they trotted out Ford and Carter and Nixon, I guess Nixon. Nixon. Reagan, I guess, was already out of it, but they got Ford, they got Carter, they got don't they had more than two presidents. Maybe
0: they didn't want Ford in there. Oh, they got he George H.W. Like, Bush like walking into stuff. So they got Ford,
1: like they got Carter, they got jo- George H.W. Bush be in the signing ceremony.
0: Was it like we could have a Reagan or or a Ford. We can't have two loose cannons right. on. Right, right. I mean not that Reagan was a loose cannon, but right. look, my grandmother had Alzheimer's, so I can say that. And that was all
1: Henry Kissinger's orchestra. That was Henry Kissinger's suggestion. That really?
0: was I actually I don't I should have <coughs> I don't know if you saw this, but I wrote a piece for Pace magazine about how people just needed to chill out about the Kissinger stuff, (laughs) because there was a whole genre of hot tickery where people like Michael Cohen, who I guess exists in real life, but I don't really think exists off of of Twitter, Speech Boy, Speech Boy, and then Michael. Oh, that guy. Yeah, Yeah. exactly, (laughs) oh, that guy. I mean, he apparently writes about like foreign policy stuff, but whatever. He and Tomaski really into being like, what's the big deal? A Kissinger yeah, yeah, endorsement yeah. here, a Kissinger endorsement there. And then you had this weird budding of Vox heads where you had one Vox piece that was like, she's fine, she's not a neocon, and she's totally chill. And then another Vox piece, which was like, why Hillary Clinton will totally not be a hawk as president, like only as Secretary of State. But then once you're president, you stop, I mean, it, it, it's like a, p- It it described it as if it were a biological thing, like like testes descending or something, (laughs) like something totally natural, and that we all know happens. Sorry if it hasn't for anyone, but that we all know happens, and like there's no big deal. That just it it was so weird. It's like why would you do that? Like your it's like it was just insulting to the intelligence of Hillary Clinton and her and her supporters. Like she's very smart. Like you're the ones being sexist and infantilizing, or just dishonest. Because I don't think anyone thinks she's stupid.
1: I mean, I, I, I wrote a bunch of things for the nation, you know, kind of spinoffs of this book, and I can't write any more about Kissinger, but I, if, I, if I were to write another thing about Kissinger, I mean, it's
0: amazing. What's amazing, and what would Greg write if he could write more about Kissinger? To find out, just become a Patreon subscriber, support the Katie Halper Show, and you'll hear not only what he has to say about Kissinger, this amazing thing, you'll also hear his thoughts on why the Human Rights Watch head, Jose Miguel Vivanco, sabotaged the peace agreement in Colombia, Why Uribe tweeted against peace in Colombia. Why and how the Clintons created the conditions for Donald Trump to arise. Plus we'll hear from Julia Carmel and Jeeves about the North Carolina GOP bombing. And I'll read you some great commentary from Ari Paul on the same subject. All you have to do is you go to patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. When you become a Patreon supporter please share that on Facebook and on Twitter and encourage your friends to do it because it's a cool thing to do.